Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This bonus episode of the podcast is part of the Working Through It series, a seven-part multimedia experience of curated content to help us work through this time of tremendous personal, professional, and organizational change. You can see all of this content at culturefirst.com slash working through it. And when you're there, make sure you subscribe to get all of the future parts delivered straight to your inbox. All right, let's get started. Hi, I'm Jenny Sauerklein. I'm working through it by spending lots of quality time in my garden tending plants. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. This is part five and episode 10 in these bonus set of episodes that we've created as part of our Working Through It series. Now, in part five, we're going to be focusing on how to connect in a disconnected world. And when I first said that, there was one person that came straight to mind, Jenny Sauerklein. Now, I'm lucky to have had the chance to meet Jenny as well as attend her events and work with her on different projects over the past five years. So why do I think that she's one of the world's leading facilitators and experts when it comes to the subject of connection? Well, I can speak personally because her training has fundamentally changed how I think about designing experiences. Her principles on the power of first impressions has also improved all of the onboarding programs that I've been delivering and her conferences are some of the best I've ever attended. Now, I'm clearly a bit biased, which is why I can tell you that her work has also been featured in the New York Times, Inc., Fast Company, Forbes, as well as in Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans. So on top of all that, she's also got one of the most interesting fun facts from a guest that we've ever had on this show. She's the co-founder of Acro Yoga, the gymnastics, people flying up in the air kind of yoga. And I've seen it at her events as well. Um, I'm afraid to say I didn't actually participate when I was there, and I wish I did, but clearly that's one of the best fun facts we've had from a guest on this show. So what are we going to learn about in this episode? Well, we're going to learn why we need to change our approach to building connections to actually update to the fact that we've moved from IRL to URL. We're going to talk about scaling intimacy, why Zoom fatigue isn't what we should be worrying about, and oh, there's this... uh. There's this section that I have a feeling you're going to be writing down a lot of notes. It's Jenny's guide to structuring the world's best 60-minute meeting. All right, there's a lot to cover, so we're going to jump straight into my conversation with Jenny Sauerklein. What advice do you typically give to others that you've found yourself saying more to yourself during this time in order for you to work through it? One thing I often say to other people in my design work is that slow is fast. And that means taking time. And if you take time in the foundational stages of things, you can go faster later. And in this time, I noticed that I want to just keep plowing at normal speed, which for me is quite fast. And I have to remember that this is not a normal time and we're all under a certain amount of duress and that I also need to take it slow. 
just looking at your, your your reflection on that, I kind of saw you have this little moment where you're like, I say this all the time and I don't know if I've been saying it enough myself. <laughs> it's like, I want to say it to myself. I think I have been saying it. Like, have I been doing it? I'm trying, but it's a toggle for me for yeah. sure. I know it's true. I know it's important, but it's much easier to tell someone else to do it. My next question from a little rapid fire section, this is the question that I love asking. I ask all of our guests this question and I cannot wait for your answer, mainly because I think like when I think about since I've moved to the US in the last five years, you are very close to the top of one of the most interesting people I have met since I've moved out to the United States and your background and your experience and how you see the world. It like it truly it truly uh, has been a very joyous experience getting to know Jenny Sauerklein over the last five years. So all of that build up, you're sitting there going, what is the question, Damon? So the question is that I can't wait for you to answer. How do you describe what you do to a 10-year-old who asks, Jenny, what do you do for work? Mm. I help people transform what could be informational and boring events like conferences or parties or gatherings, and I help make them interactive and fun and engaging so that people make friends and create community. So if I was an inquisitive 10-year-old, I might say, so you're saying that you like take something that I don't like, like Brussels sprouts, and you make them taste good. Exactly. I turn Brussels sprouts into a candy that you want to eat. All right. So everyone's going to have to keep listening now after knowing that we're (laughs) going to be turning Brussels sprouts into candy when it comes to scaling connection and intimacy. So... When I was thinking about this episode around how to connect in a disconnected world and experimenting and innovating human connection, I honestly couldn't think of a better person to experiment with. So with all that preamble, shall we begin? Let's. So we're in the arrival stage of this conversation, which we're going to talk a little bit more about why that's important. But there's one question that I have to ask first, and then I wanted to send some thanks your way. So the first question I wanted to ask you was... What was the first experience or event that you attended that left you wanting to learn more about how to actually design an event or experience for connection? One of my first memories of an event that left a big impression on me, and I I think I was too young to at that point say, I want to do this for other people or I want to make this my profession. Um, But one of the first events I remember that, that made a big impression on me. So I grew up in Manhattan in New York City. And I think I was about five or six, and my parents took me to this event called Hands Across America. And I don't, I don't even remember like what it was for. Like, why were we holding hands across America? I don't know. But I have a picture from that event where I'm like sitting on my dad's shoulders. My mom is there, and I literally remember. You know, the idea was to create, I think, a human chain across the United States. I don't even know if we achieved it. I have no idea. But what I remember is being in that crowd. I remember holding people's hands. I remember strangers feeling like family. And I, it made such a big impression on me also because I'm an only child. And I always wanted brothers and sisters growing up. I lived in an apartment with my two parents. Like I felt very isolated as a child. I just always, I always dreamed about living in a big house with a lot of people. And so that kind of an event showed me what was possible with a group of strangers that had never met each other, that we could really come together and feel that close and feel that connected. And I think it just, it inspired me to want to be in more of those environments. I got a incredible visual of that picture and just kind of like, even though I don't, you know, I don't really know what, what the event was, I can just kind of see like you there with, with, with your father and like this moment that 
um, maybe that you've reflected on since and kind of said like, that is something that I want to create for many people. And you had that experience at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's only more recently that I've started to connect back to that event and realize that that was part of the inception of all of this, mm. <laughs> seeing, seeing what was possible in groups and gatherings. One thing I want to say thanks to you for is something that you've taught me through your events that has stuck with me. And now I would like to say that this happens a lot, but I have a feeling that like rarely do we get like fundamentally changed in how we believe about like our beliefs about something. We we're like, you know what? Every time I think about that now, I want to do it in a certain way. But that's actually like, that's an experience I had at your event, which has stayed with me for a very long time. So first I want to uh, describe it. And secondly, to say thank you for that, for that experience. And I'm hoping that everyone who listens to this gets a similar experience from some of the stuff we're going to share. But the the thing that you taught me that has completely changed the way I see the world is the importance of what I believe you called like the first like 5% or like that sort of that those first um, moments where if you get those first moments right when you're building an experience, when you're building connection, you know, um, what I what I kind of took away from it is you'll either, if you get it right, you can kind of start around like this high level and you build upon it and you can get, you can reach incredible heights with your experience. And if you get it wrong, basically you then drop below. And then if you're lucky, you get it back up to the moment where you could have started. And, you know, you were describing that from how you design events and, you know, but I think about it from like designing onboarding experiences for new employees, you know, um, designing meetings designing you know like your first connections even with a group of friends like if you're having a dinner party like whatever happens in that sort of first five percent either sets the stage for something that could be amazing or if you get it wrong you know it's uh it's something that is just stuck with me so like first i just want to say like thank you for that because i have this incredible visual of attending your event and seeing balloons and and signs saying that you know you have arrived and then like people with like streamers and flags and like people giving like high fives and hugs and then music playing and like little did i know all of that experience from your conference was all designed to make sure that that you know that first five percent that first arrival moment made me feel open and welcomed and then from there it was of course no mistake that the event and the experience ended up being truly transformational Hmm. I love hearing that. That's I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, 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 well, I, I appreciate your gratitude and thank you. Um, and I do feel like, and this is one of the things I say to people so much is like the beginning sets the tone for everything to come and you never have a second chance to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're initiating something, like you said, whether it's onboarding a, a meeting, a new friendship, um, a conference, an event, a meeting, a team, whatever that is, like people are coming into that fresh and they're on super alert. They're, we, we have these meaning-making machines of our minds. And especially when we're in new situations, they're on hyper alert and they're looking for all the signs and signals and symbols to interpret, am I safe? And how does this universe work? What are the expectations? What are the behaviors here that are rewarded? And what are the ones that are not rewarded, <laughs> right? So how am I being invited to participate? And so those first few moments, like we are really watching very closely to see what, what the tone is, what the environment is, what the culture is. And so when you can be very, very intentional about how you want to welcome people into that, do you want it to be a somber tone? Do you want it to be a celebratory tone? Do you want it to be a vulnerable tone, an intimate tone? Whatever it is, like, is cool as long as you're intentional about that. And then you create, you think about what are the cr- ways that I could create those signs, like signals that you are safe here 
And this is the invitation of how to participate. Um, I think that's just hugely important because all of those events, they're like, they're mini universes. And that universe can operate however you decide you want it to. Mm. But you have to be clear and intentional about what that is and then create those signs, symbols, and signals that indicate that to your audience, participants, attendees, team members, whatever your situation is. I love that. We're going to leave people uh, inspired to create mini universes where you can intentionally set the foundations of actually creating cultures of belonging and feeling of connectedness and a place where people can truly thrive. And, you know, I think a lot of the conversations that we've, you know, people have been having at conferences and on podcasts about the future of work and creating cultures of belonging and all these kind of things, a lot of it is to try to, you know, fix things that have broken inside of companies or cultures that aren't serving people and that, you know, or teams are where it's not working. Where I think what we're talking about is like actually looking at the foundations of that of that container, of that universe that we've built and said like, what was the first five, you know, 5%, first 10% of that experience? And how do we go back and actually say that, you know, sometimes it's not just trying to make small changes to something that already exists. We need to fundamentally change the experience that we're wanting people to have in order for them to actually grow and be able to develop into the systems that we want to build inside of our company, inside of our um, teams, as well as just inside of society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, I think when you think about most things, for most people, what stands out is the beginning and the end. You remember how you fell in love with someone and you remember how the relationship ended. <laughs> the middle kind of becomes a blur. Mm. But the beginnings and the endings say a lot, right? Or how you get hired by a company and what the onboarding process is or isn't. And how you get fired or let go or how you quit or whatever that closure process is or isn't um, also makes a big how down, so to speak. Um, So I think those are really important touch points, beginnings and endings. So oftentimes, I think we have in the beginning of something, there's this whole list of things we want to get out of the way, Mm. right? Just like, oh, well, I got to get that stuff out of the way. And then we'll get to the real thing, the content or what's really important. And that's just a huge missed opportunity. Like when you notice yourself thinking, oh, well, I'll spend the first five or 10 minutes just checking the boxes of getting things out of the way. And that might be logistics, like where the bathrooms are or the agenda or thanking your sponsors or whatever your context is, resist. Resist the urge to get things out of the way in the first five to 10 minutes, because that is the most precious opportunity you have to create a culture. Mm. You do not want your culture to be one of getting things out of the way, right? So that's why I always talk about, you know, you want to, if, if, your intention is to create connection. You need to do that from the literal outset. And then one of the one of the things that I recommend is just doing a, an exercise that creates connection within the first 10 minutes of your event, regardless if it's an hour-long meeting or a two-day conference or whatever it is. First 10 minutes, you've got to get people connecting with each other because that's going to, again, just create the um, the tone for what's to come. So in order for people to be able to create experiences and events or meetings like this, I thought it'd be important for us to maybe start by establishing some of the key terms and maybe how you think about them um, so that we've all kind of got that foundation to build upon. So first, I just wanted to hear from your, your perspective when I just say the word kind of connection and maybe just connection in a more of a professional context. How do you think about that? It's interesting. So I think I, I use connection and intimacy somewhat interchangeably. and to me, they have very similar contexts. And I think using the word intimacy is interesting because it has so many connotations to it. 
mm. uh, positive and negative, kind of racy. Um, I think it takes connection just a few degrees farther than we're used to thinking about it, especially in a workplace context, right? It's like a little edgy for people to lean into. It's like, yeah, do I want to feel connected to my coworkers? Yeah. Do I want to be intimate with my coworkers? I don't know about that, right? That's when HR is going to be like, hang on, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let's not talk about that. Um, but I think that when you look at the dictionary definition of intimacy, it is about having a feeling of closeness or familiarity, right? And I think that's a very similar definition to what I would say what connection is, a feeling of closeness or familiarity. Like I feel there's something that shifts between when I see you or experience you as a stranger versus when I see you or experience you as a friend or a friendly person in my life. And so that's to some degree something about like letting go of a barrier or a sense of protection that I have to keep myself separate from you. There's something, I think it's essentially moving from a state of clo being closed or even being neutral to moving to a state of being open, right? If I feel connected to you, I'm moving into a state of openness with you. Like I'm willing to engage with you. I'm maybe willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I feel like maybe we have something in common. So I'd say for, at a very basic level, it's moving from a state of being closed or neutral to a state of being open. And there's three um, terms that I think you use a lot when it comes to connection. And then, and I'd like to learn if it's like, if these are table stakes or if there's any other things that we should be thinking about. But the terms that you use a lot is the idea of playfulness, vulnerability, and the role of physical contact. So I'd love to maybe just hear um, you, you talk about why those three are important. And if there's any, anything else that comes to mind that yeah. should be table stakes when it comes to building uh, connection or, or scaling intimacy inside of a company. So those three words I, I like to think about in terms of the schematic of when we think about uh, physical contact. So that's, again, not, not something that we have the luxury of right now, uh, unfortunately, but there's something around physical contact that's at the layer of the body. And we, when we connect with someone at, at a physical level, and when I say physical level, again, that puts up a lot of like, woo, like, oh, no, 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 bad. Yeah. Um, but physical contact can be as simple as a high five. It can be a handshake, right? There are very simple things that we do in business is generally very socially acceptable and consensual for the most part. So thinking about those kind of physical contacts, um, when we do that, we create a sense of connection on, on the physical realm, which oftentimes it just, again, helps to break down those barriers, that those feelings of separation. And then we're like, oh, we're all flesh blood and bone. We're all made of the same thing. And that helps to just drop some of these barriers of protection. So that's where I think about the physical aspect of just even making those small moments of connection. And then if you move up into the state of vulnerability, I think of that on the level and the layer of the heart, right? So that's where we share our emotions. That's where we speak our truth. That's when we offer a glimpse into our world beneath what you might see or assume is true about me on the surface. And that's also going to create a deeper level of connection, as many of you probably listened to Brene Brown, and so much of her work is around vulnerability and that being the key to connection. And then if you move up into the mind, that's where we address playfulness, which I think for a lot of people seems counterintuitive. Like, how is playfulness in the mind? Like, I think a lot of us think about games and playfulness being physical, and there, there are often times that playfulness involves our body. But how I like to think about it is really playfulness is a state of mind. It's not an activity. It's not something you do. It's how you do it. So when we do something with a mindset of playfulness, 
We're in it for the joy of the journey. It's not goal-oriented. It's process-oriented. We're curious. We're in a state of wonder. Um, anything is possible. And oftentimes, that's what puts us into a state of flow. So when you're in a state of play, literally, your left and right hemispheres of your brain are speaking to each other. They're creating new neural pathways that didn't exist before, literally making you smarter. And part of how we get people into a state of play is we have to lower the stakes, right? So when people, when there's really high stakes and it's like, oh, if I make a mistake, then this really bad thing will happen. It makes it very hard. Stress and play are on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So we have to take the stress away to allow play to come forward. And when you play with someone, it's actually quite vulnerable. It's quite revealing, right? You're not going to play with someone if you don't feel safe around them. So when we have these, I call them the three keys to connection, um, when you have that sense of uh, physical contact, vulnerability, and playfulness, if you have one exercise or activity that you can do with your team that involves aspects of all three of them, I have found that to be the quickest and deepest way to get a group to feel bonded and connected. I know you mentioned that a lot of the ways that we would typically associate physical contact, um, you know, in the workplace from, you know, um, successes and high fives to, you know, handshakes and all those kind of gestures, you know, a lot of those have gone out the window for many different reasons right now. I'm wondering, is there an example of, I guess, physical contact or play or something that can be done in a virtual meeting that comes to mind for you? Uh, there's one really simple thing that I've been doing. So I'm often on Zoom or I'm but th- I think this could be true in a number of platforms. So if you're in your gallery view or basically in a state where you have that Brady Bunch grid of <laughs> faces, uh, one thing you can do at the, I often am doing this at the end of meetings. So again, we talked about beginnings and endings being important. So I'll have everyone raise their hands up, you turn their palms to face out to the side, and we do a group applause, but with our hands facing out to the side. So it looks like you're hitting the hands of the people on either side of you. And you can have everyone come off mute and like hoot and holler. And we all go, woo, and we're doing this like air applause, basically. And it's just a simple moment, but it creates this feeling of connection and celebration. Like we can see with our eyes, it looks like we're hitting each other's hands. And even though there's no physical contact, our brain is interpreting that sensation, right? Um, So that's like a simple thing that I really love doing that creates a, a really a nice feeling of celebration and connection. And it brings people back to presence. It brings people back mm-hmm. to that kind of that that screen and that we're all in this together. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, being mm-hmm. being present in the moment is something that I really value. Like I have shared before that I'm typically the person who makes everyone kind of, you know, um, walk over to like the area or something and like look out at, at the mountain before an event and go like, all right, like how amazing is it that we get to do this? And like, let's just sit in this moment before we have to like go do the work or perform the art or something. I'm always sort of trying to just like center on this, like how special is it? You know, whether it's a huge event or whether it's just like a dinner we get to have. And Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's just an important part of how I show up. And, um, you know, to me being present has led to some really great moments of connection when you can be fully present for someone else. And what, I guess what I'm finding is that, you know, being present virtually is a lot tougher right now. One, because there's more things pulling us from presence from like a society perspective, from a, you know, a sort of global conversation that there's more things that require our attention. And, you know, secondly, when we are trying to do some, you know, deep work or, or, or work, you know, we're now mainly working on machines that aren't built in a way that encourages presence. Like they are literally built from a 
operating system perspective to be yeah you know like alerting our eyes left right and center so have you found any ways to encourage people to be truly present just using technology yeah so i want to say so much in response to what you just shared um so one, just totally agree that the virtual environments, uh, what's so hard about it is that there are so many distractions. You're at home and yes, computers and technology want to take us in a thousand directions and there's little to no accountability, right? So if I'm in a physical room with you, if we're all sitting around a table having a meeting or a team brainstorm, like I can't just drift off or, you know, I mean, I could be on my phone to some degree, but at some point someone's going to like nudge you a little bit and be like, yo, you got to pay attention. Um, so there's some accountability. Whereas when you're in your own home space, like, especially if you're in a bigger um, online setting where there's like dozens or hundreds of people, like how is someone going to know whether or not you're paying attention? So I think that's, um, that's a real challenge that we have to be aware of. So one of the things that I always say is like when you're designing for virtual, your number one priority should be engagement. Mm. And we hear a lot about employee engagement, right? And that's like on a day to day. How do we keep people connected to the meaning of their work and their colleagues and the organization, the team? But when we're talking about actual meetings or programs or trainings that are happening online, you have to make engagement the number, number, number one thing you are doing, because if you do not have people's attention, nothing else good is going to happen. Like you're not going to achieve your goals. You're not going to achieve your outcomes. You're not going to get great ideas out of people. Like nothing's good is going to happen if you don't, if you're not able to get and keep your audience's attention. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing. And that means taking your content down into much more of a bite size chunk than you think. Right. So if you take what is normally a boring in-person meeting and you take that same format and you put it online, it's going to be 10 times worse. It's going to be that much harder, right? Just yep. because of obstacles. And it's not, it's not our fault, right? It's like, it's just human nature and it's technology. It's like, it's not that you're a bad person. It's just, this is not designed for, for connection. And, and the platforms that we're using, they're not designed for connection. They were designed for information dissemination, right? They're designed for a one-way conversation. Now, some of those platforms are beginning to innovate in the direction of connection, but there's still so much hacking we're having to do to really get them up to speed to be what we want. So, so first thing would be design for engagement. And that can look like one thing to think about is every five minutes of content needs to be broken up after every five minutes. And I'm saying five minutes, like at a, at a long end, right? Mm. After every five minutes, can you pose a question? Can you have a question that's in the chat? Can you launch a poll? Can you send people into breakout rooms? Can you have a stretch moment, a few conscious breaths that you all take together? Can you have some share outs from a few people on the line, right? So any way in which you break up that one-way dissemination of information or content is gonna help engage your audience and help bring them more present. Um, so that would be one thing. And then, uh, so that's like every five minutes, right? So that means you've got to get much more micro than you think. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I like to say and think about is that connection is the best engagement strategy, right? So if I'm, I may or may not choose to engage with a poll, I may or may not um, decide to put something in the chat if you ask me a question. But if you put me in a breakout or if you're asking me to be, uh, in communication with one or two other people, boom, I'm going to be present because 
there's accountability. Now I'm with you. I'm a living, breathing person and I'm being asked to have a conversation. So I'm not going to be checking my email or hopefully, right, sending a text message at that time because now we have eye contact and there's this conversation that's unfolding. That I think about uh, in terms of engagement is whenever you really want to bring people into a state of presence, ask them to be in a state of connection. And that will, for most people, bring out the best in them. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Just like if you're wanting presence, first look to connection, like actually like and, and, and design it in a way. And I think when, when you were sharing about, you know, like does our current technology or the way that we're working serve us or is it like, is it really hard to build this? I, I was reflecting back on, I mean, like eight or nine years ago when I was working in um, HR in, in Australia, you know, I was looking at consumer marketing and, and consumer technology platforms and going like, if we want to engage potential candidates, you know, from an employer, employer branding perspective, if we want our communication from HR inside of the company to land, you know, we need to look at the, the you know, the ways that consumers are actually digesting information and actually looking to like, you know, looking to use technology. And I think for a long time, the the workplace technology has always been so far outdated. And I think what we're seeing right now is, you know, when someone is working from their home and you're asking to build connection using this laptop, but then they have like a multimedia of streaming like things, which are like, you know, Netflix had like choose your own adventure TV shows, right? Where like the actual storylines changing and then you're sitting there and you're making someone sit through a 60 minute presentation with just content. You're like, there is such a disconnect between how we're experiencing content and um, education and inspiration from a consumer perspective to the technology. And I think that's why so much of what you're talking about here and designing for that connection is so important because the technology is always going to be behind. It's up to us to actually build that into how we're showing up and not expecting the technology to build connection for us. Absolutely. So a couple of things on that. <laughs> I have to write these things down. I'm like, I get a thousand ideas as you're talking. So I'll just say with the, with the technology piece, like I'm running these scaling intimacy trainings, right? So we just had their experience design trainings about how to design events and experiences that focus on connection. And we just finished one this past weekend with 80 people. And within those 80 people, I put them in home groups of 10 and they're by kind of similar professions, similar roles that they have in, in work and life. And we, we put them in those home groups multiple times over the course of the weekend to create this, again, feeling of intimacy within that group of 80, right? You're on that grid and you're like, ah, you're swimming in a sea of anonymity. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I go into this group of 10 and I meet with that group of 10 multiple times. Now I'm starting to feel like I have connection. And when you have connection in a small group like that, it, it bleeds out into the whole group. So when I'm now in that state of safety with that group, when I come back to the big group, I'm going to be more likely to extend that benefit of the doubt to everyone in the space. And we've had to come up with these hacks of how we're, how we're using Zoom and how we're naming people. So we have everyone put in, they rename themselves on their screen name. They put one dash their name, two dash their name. So we have all their home groups by name, by number, so that we can easily put them in those groups multiple times. And this past round, my technical director found a way to add add more to that so that we could, he could literally make sure we randomized each uh, pairing even beyond what Zoom's capability is. Um, so it's just, we are having to get really creative to figure out ways to make this work for us that are based on connection first principles, right? Yeah. 
if you're having a meeting or a one-on-one or whatever it is, you know, or a webinar, people are not coming to live online events for content. They are more so they're going to be coming for connection. Because if I just want the content, I will sign up for your webinar. I will not come during the live one. And I will watch the recording later at one and a half times the speed. That is what I do because I'm coming for the information. If I know it's just information, why do I need to turn up live when I'm going to get this recording later at my own time and at double the speed where I can just kind of skim the content as I need, right? So what is the carrot? What is the incentive? Why should people take time at a specific juncture to turn up live to an event if it doesn't matter that I'm there, Mm. right? And so this is what boggles my brain. It's like, who cares? Why am I going to show up if I don't matter? If I'm just one of 500 anonymous people on a chat stream, like it doesn't matter. And so oftentimes two people are saying to me, like, how do I take these principles and apply them to a webinar type format where it is a one way thing? And, and I would say, I would challenge you to say, if connection is truly a priority for you, then a webinar may not be the right format, mm. right? It depends on what your priority is. Yeah. And if connection truly is something that you care about, then I would wager to say that a one-way webinar is not going to be the ideal format or platform for you. And I think what you bring up there is um, gets to the heart of like pre-event comms and really clear expectations. So totally. one thing that I've, I've, I guess, I feel like I've, I was kind of caught out a few times where I thought I was just attending a webinar and I had it on in, in the background and, you know, like, whether you're in your pajamas or your gym clothes or you're like doing laundry while working and something else. And then they're like, all right, now we're going to put you in breakout rooms. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 my video is not on. I'm not ready. And then, so then like I noticed and then like 20, 30% of participants all drop off going, that was not what I was here for. And, um, you know, it's easy to drop off if you're attending a virtual event. If you're in a meeting and the expectations aren't clear, you can't just be like, I'm so sorry, I'm leaving this all hands. I didn't know you wanted my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I'm out. Sorry. I wasn't prepared for this. Like, yeah, absolutely. So it's like also that, that idea of attrition, right? Like how concerned are we that we get people in from the beginning and keep them through the end? And that requires engagement. It requires connection. And as you said, absolutely requires setting clear expectations um, from the beginning. So I always try to tell people, please log on and be prepared to be on video as this will be an interactive, engaging workshop experience where you will be connecting directly with other participants. And that's huge. And some people may not want that, right? That's also being fair and kind to the people that are like having a really hard day or just don't feel comfortable with that for whatever reason. Um, I think that's kind and compassionate to just set clear expectations so the people who want to show up and engage can, and the people who don't, don't. And when I'm often doing some of these more deeper connection um, based trainings and workshops, I don't record them and I don't share the recording one, because I'm like, you have to show up to get the value, not information. So if you're not there doing the connection work, it's not the same to watch it later. And two, because I am asking people to do deep connection work. I don't always feel that that's appropriate to then share as a video to people that weren't there. So that's also something to consider of like, do you want to record it? And if so, what is the purpose of that recording and who does that benefit? And I think that's why we can learn so much from how you've thought about designing these experiences and these events, you know, back into the workplace. Because like what you're talking about is, you know, like 
large events, you know, 80 people, 10 people, hundreds of people, but scaling in intimacy to make it feel more intimate, like a small team meeting. And when I was sort of doing research for this interview, I was kind of reflecting on, I guess, some of the personas that can either make or, or break connection during a meeting. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to run you through some of the personas and then I'm going to center it on um, the most important one. And I'll share a little story about um, how I've tried to play that role. But the personas that might lead to a you know disconnect in meetings. Um, passive observer sits there just and nothing you say or do will ever make the move. Then I've thought of the vocal naysayer. So the one that no matter what piece of content you put out there, there's always going to be an opinion on it. Then there's the more fun or cheeky ones. They're like clearly not looking at their video conferencing app one. You know, the one who's now like five apps removed from being on Zoom or Skype or something else. That if they are called upon, it's going to take an awkward amount of time for them to get back to the screen. There's the think we can't see them on on their phone person, uh, the one who thinks that they're like like they're, they're you know they're hiding it, but we can still see it. Um, then never seems to realise they aren't on mute person, and then the can never get off mute in time person. I love these. These are great personas. I feel like this would be so good to share at the beginning of a thing and be like, don't be one of these people. <laughs> yeah. Like, please resist your deeper searches to not be th these people. Totally. So the one that, you know, some of those were a bit tongue in cheek. The one that I wanted to focus on and the persona that I think is really important is the facilitator or the host or the convener of an experience or of a meeting. And I wanted to share an example that I worked through recently that I wanted to see, you know, whether you had any tips on or whether there's any ways to improve it. But um, typically what I've seen when I'm like analyzing how teams work or how companies work is, you know, the person who's like the most senior person in the room or the person who is actually responsible for sharing most of the content in a meeting typically also is then asked to facilitate and host. So that person's then doing this dual duty of like, you know, like who's there? Like, is everyone here? Have you seen the agenda? Now I need to present. Now I'm going to present my screen. Now I'm going to share the information. Then you're going to have questions. I'm also going to have to answer them. And one thing that I noticed in one of the meetings, um, you know, that I'm part of is like, I'm not the most senior person in this meeting, but I made an offer to the person who typically was running them saying that, you know, would you be open to me actually being the facilitator? You know, would you um, be open to me being the person who actually sets the agenda, who sets the tone, who does the check-ins, who does the arrival? Um, and, you know, I asked for permission to say, like, uh, you know, potentially I will cut people off and we will, we will change and we will move on. And basically what that has allowed, you know, that person agreed to it, is that person is now able to fully be in the, like, the shape of I am the person who can answer the questions and I can show up with presence and I can share the content knowing that I don't need to be the facilitator. So I wanted to share that to see if anything came up or if there's any other tips around, you know, splitting some of those roles out when it comes to team meetings. Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends also on, like, how complex of a format you have, how long, how many people, right? So the more different elements you want to bring in, the more people you have on that online meeting, the more complex it gets, right? And so in our past program we just did that I was sharing with the 80 people, it was 80 participants and I had a one to 10 ratio of facilitators, right? So I had a team of eight facilitators plus myself as the lead facilitator, plus I have a technical director, who is really responsible for like running the breakouts and answering tech questions. We have a lot of people and a lot of times people come on these platforms and they don't understand how certain things work or, and that can take 10 minutes, you know, just to get everybody oriented. Yeah. 
So having those, um, and so one of the things we did is I went over with everyone, kind of revealed the curtain to the participants. Hey, this is as a facilitation team. These are all the roles that we are taking on to disperse the responsibility. So like I'm doing the main contents as the main facilitator and I'm doing the slides and I was for the most part doing the music. But then I have another person who is kind of doing real-time agenda updates and someone else who's doing the breakout groups and the announcements, someone else who's cutting and pasting instructions into the chat when we have specific exercises or activities, Um, and someone else who's kind of documenting, like collecting the responses that are coming up. And that would be potentially really important and helpful in a meeting if you have action items or to-dos and follow-ups that are going to happen. So I think if you if you can spread out some of those responsibilities, it sounds like as you're already doing with different people. And guess what? That's also going to help people be more engaged, right? If I'm turning them to a meeting, not only as a participant, but knowing that I'm responsible for certain things during the meeting or outputs afterwards, like I'm going to be more on alert, right? And I think tying back to something you said earlier, one of the main things we're doing as we're engaging people is we're transforming transforming them from being passive observers to active participants. So any way in which you can get people to actively participate is going to be great for you. And especially if you know, as a, as a team leader, you're flustered by the technology. It's really frustrating for you. You feel overwhelmed by it. That's going to take away from your ability to really be the pillar, the vision, the, the mm. community connector, right? Whatever, what's that primary role that only you can play? And then see to what degree you can disseminate those other roles of responsibility. And it allows your other team members to step up to try new things, right? For them to have a voice and, a, and leadership as well. So I think it's an excellent idea to just um, to set, figure out what are those roles that you can pass on and have more people step up as well. And also maybe you could swap roles per meeting, right? So everybody gets a chance to do different things and uh, take on a different uh, sense of leadership. And then you can tap into different people's superpowers. So, you know, some person might be really good at like documenting very factual notes and for a very factual meeting that could be important and other people have more, you know, creative tendencies. And if it was something that was more of an ideation session, potentially you actually want their creativity to connect all the different dots together and like make those pattern connections that other people might not not have seen if you had a more factual note taker. So actually like being super clear about what are the roles you want in a meeting? What is the type of meeting that we're hosting? what is what does success look like at the end and not just say that like just because you're the facilitator for this one you should always be and just because you're the note taker you should should always be and like actually say like you know for this to be a success for us to reach the goals that we want who needs to play what role and have a little bit more fluidity and I think you know that to me already makes me more engaged about knowing that I I can play multiple roles in in this container and it's not going to be the same every week. Yeah. And then you could be building a collaborative best practice document for like, oh, the note taker, these are the things that I learned. Oh, for the documenter, these are the things that I learned. And for the breakouts, technology, these are things to know, right? So that you're creating a um, a working document that's going to support all of you and you're all building off of each other. So there's collaboration even in those uh, aspects. So as we've kind of touched on sort of the heart of you know why connection is important and why we can actually scale intimacy, you know, I, I wanted to sort of center a lot of this conversation on the thing that we can't get away from, which is is meetings. You know, it's how it's how the world of work continues to work. You know, we we are asked to gather, we are asked to come together to actually you know create these these um, these conversations and. You know, one of um, the books, and I know, I, I believe she's a friend of yours, uh, Priya Parker. 
Uh-huh. Um, you know, the art of gathering. Like, I think that's such a beautiful way to describe that. Like, there is an art form to this. And, you know, I'm hoping that people are learning some of these tips around the art form of actually, you know, not centering on, on the content, focusing on, on the connection piece. Um, but if we were to get super practical, breaking down like Jenny Sauer Klein's ideal structure of a 60 minute meeting that many of us have to go in the intro, the middle, the end, the beginning, the middle, the end, you know, how, how does it look? Great question. So I think there's something around, you know, as those, most meetings don't start on the dot, right? Because people are arriving, whether that's a physical environment or a virtual environment, right? So you've got a couple minutes buffer on either side. So one thing that I love to do as an arrival practice is as people are coming into a virtual meeting, I have music playing and I don't know about different platforms, but on Zoom, there's a very simple button that you can press. And it what it does is it makes the music pump from your computer through their speaker. So it sounds like it's coming right out of their computer. And I will tell you, people are like, oh my God, how are you doing that? That's amazing, right? So depending on the tone of the meeting, Let's say it's like late afternoon and I know people are going to be sluggish. I might be playing like a really upbeat, like Motown song, you know, something everyone's going to know and just step in and automatically be energized, right? So I think music I have found is a huge component to setting a tone and creating um, energy, right? So as people are jumping on the line, is there music playing? I've seen other people do it where they have like some video playing, right? I think a static slide there is not very interesting, right? That's not going to be as engaging. But is there a video? Are people coming on gallery? Is there music? I also always like to ask an opening prompt. And I'll put that in the chat. And a lot of times people will ask, you know, especially if you have a globally dispersed team, like kind of where you are right now. And another variation of not only where you are in terms of like city or country is like where in your are you in your bedroom? Are you in your living room? Are you in your husband's office? Are you in your grandma's kitchen, you know, where are you? So there's variations of that. And then some kind of a prompt, a personal prompt. So you can think of that as your first connection moment, right? So one of, you could say like, what's been a highlight of your week? Or what did you eat for lunch? Or um, what's something you're celebrating in your life right now? Or what's what's one challenge that you're that you're facing as a leader in this organization? Or, you know, thousand questions. But just anything that's going to engage the people that are already there and create a stream of connection as people are jumping on the line. So music, a prompt, that's going to already do a lot to just create this sense of engagement. Um, I would probably open with a very brief high-level agenda of like, hey, everybody, welcome. Here's what we're up to today. Maybe as we talked about, if there's roles, here's the roles that so-and-so and so-and-so, this is what we're all doing. And then I would go straight into either like a connection exercise or an energizer, right? So again, something that's going to bring people into a state of presence and a state of connection. That could be taking a number of deep breaths um, to to arrive. Oftentimes I find physically there, but that's the only part of them that's there. They're not mentally there. They're not, you know, intellectually there. They're not emotionally there. Like there's aspects of themselves that are still and what happened before this that are projecting into what's happening after this, right? So maybe it's just a guided meditation, a visualization. Maybe you're going to have people free write for a few minutes, just like get anything off your chest that's possibly distracting you from being present right now. Um, so I think that's, uh, or if it's a connection exercise, let's say you have a team of like a small team of six, you could ask a question and have everyone just go around and answer it. Um, so that that could be just a way to get people connected. 
Um, sometimes people have rituals like, okay, everyone's going to bring their favorite beverage or they're going to wear a shirt that's your favorite color, right? There's all these simple ways that you can create these moments of connection where it's like, oh, wow, and talk about, I love the object game. That's a great one, right? So bring an object into with you that symbolizes um, one of your values or a gift that was given to you that was meaningful or a photograph that you love, right? Mm. Simple more, ways. More props and meetings. Yeah, props. I am big on the props because it's something we have access to at home that we don't have access to in the office, right? So take advantage of that. So that's what I would say. So you got your arrival, you've got some just high level, what are we doing? You've got a connection moment. And again, that can be five minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. But again, that's going to create engagement. It's going to create presence. It's going to create opening. And when you create those environments of psychological safety, that's when you're going to get the best out of your people, no matter what you're doing. And then in your meeting, if you're going into content right after that, I would do your most important thing first. Again, that's the mindset of like, I'm going to just get all these other little things out of the way and then, but I would really hit your most important thing at the very beginning um, because that's what's going to need the most fresh attention and focus. And then you kind of see how much time that takes um, and then going towards the end. And so maybe that's like the, the major piece of content we've talked about as much as possible, five minutes of content, some engagement, five minutes of content engagement throughout that 60 minute meeting. And then I would say towards the end, you know, in the last five to 10 minutes of that meeting, uh, if you want to do what I call kind of a cumulative integration, which is where we look back on how far we've come in the past 50 minutes and we say, okay, given where we started, where we came from, what's, what's the thing that's standing out for you? What was most meaningful about um, what we covered here today? And, and that could also be not only what we did, but how we did. So I think it's always super valuable to have some kind of reflection on not only product, but process, right? How did we work together as a team? Maybe we want to do some kind of quick retro on, on roles. How did our roles go? Is there any way we can improve these roles? One of my favorite uh, retrospective practices is what I call a plus delta. And I do this at the um, end of all of my programs live with my audience. And we did it at the culture conference with 200 people live on stage. So you can totally do it. Um, it's a plus Delta. So you start with plus. So you say, what did you, what, what did you appreciate about this meeting? What really worked for you? What do you want to plus one to, what do you want to highlight? So you kind of just could have that coming through in the chat. And then the Delta is what's the change? Like what would we like to see improved, but we want to do differently. And that is really proactive suggestions, solutions, ideas. What we're doing there is we're skipping the blaming section of calling out what's wrong and what's not working. So we start with what's working. We think about what's not working, but we offer as proactive solutions about what could make something better. So each time we're meeting, we're iterating, we're improving, right? So I do a plus delta. That's one of the things I always do at the end of my programs, um, a plus delta. And then we end uh, towards the end there, we would do some kind of call to action, right? What are the action items? What are the things? Who's doing what by when for the next meeting? And then the very end, I would highly recommend you end on a moment of connection, right? So oftentimes we end with our to-dos and then it's like, bye, gone. But the feeling, right? What's the feeling that you want to leave people with? And again, that could be like three deep breaths. It could be what I call the one word whip, right? Where everybody goes around and in one word shares how they're feeling right now. One thing that they're grateful for, something that they're excited about, um, someone that they want to acknowledge, 
right in the room of like, oh, Damon, I really want to acknowledge you for that moment that you just had us all slow down when we were throwing out too many ideas and you couldn't catch it as our documenter. You know, thank you for helping us slow down. Simple things like that. Exercise I was sharing earlier, I think it's a really fun way. Um, sometimes we end with a little dance party. You could have music at the end. And sometimes people want to stay on the lines. You could be like, this is our official end. But if anyone wants to stay on and chat, you know, drink some coffee or, you know, if anyone has questions we didn't get a chance to answer, I'll be on the line for the next couple minutes. And so there's kind of like a soft a close. But but that would be a format that I think the challenge of it is, of course, that if you prioritize connection, there is less time for content. So it's a less is more kind of design. You have to get really, really clear on what's most important and just focus on that. So you will, I would say like information is fast and experience is slow. So if you just want to disseminate information, you can do a lot in a short amount of time. And if you want to create relationships, connection, community, culture, it takes time. And you can do that in little bits over a long time, but it does mean uh, allocating a certain amount of time in every interaction mm. for that. Because you, what you want to do is you want to weave a web of connection. It has to be a thread that carries through. It has to be consistent. So even if it's small bits, those small bits add up over time, but you have to be consistent about it and you have to make it a priority. I loved so much about what you just shared. And I think at the end, um, what was coming up, up for me was, you know, you could make some of these small tweaks. You could make like a meeting a little bit better if you incorporated one of those things. But mm -hmm. I think at the heart of what I was hearing was if we actually fundamentally change how we're going to do these things and like get agreements from your team members that we are like, you know, that 30 minute meeting, that 60 minute meeting, you know, it's not going to be like it used to be. It's not going to be 40 minutes of content and it's going to require significant behavioral shifts of pre-event communications, pre-reading, like we're, we're here to discuss the thing, not hear about the thing, right? And it's going to be a complete shift. So, you know, I know that if someone just took two of those things and, and incorporated them in, in those meetings, they could be a little bit better. Or if you actually did a fundamental change in how we're gathering, that's when you get that chance to create that first impression again. That's when you get that chance to actually build that expectation. And then when I look back and I think about like, you know, how many times, you know, four weeks in a row, five weeks in a row, six weeks in a row of being in, in a container or a meeting where you're like, this isn't working. You're like, a small change, if you're that disengaged with like how that information is being presented to you, isn't enough. You actually kind of need to re-enter and re-agree. And that requires, you know, bravery and it requires vulnerability and it requires trust that there's a new way of doing these things. So I'm hoping that what people, you know, thinking about the beginning, the middle and the end, is like renegotiating what that can look like and focusing on connection over content because, um, you know, like you said, when we think about relationships, we remember beginnings and ends and um, making sure that you're centering, you know, that conversation on the what is the most important thing that people we, we, we need to connect over because I've been in far too many meetings where it's like the most important topic comes in at like the final 10%. And you're like, ah, like we don't have enough time. And then everyone starts looking at the clock and you get really stressed and you're like, but we've just got to the heart of this thing. And then the other one that was coming up for me is like the really awkward goodbyes where it's just like, we're all there. We were trying to build connection. And then like everyone's faces just vanish because it's like, sorry, we're now five minutes late for our next meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things to say about that is that um, 
you know, when we're at an office and we get to see each other on a day-to-day basis, connection happens in lots of serendipitous moments, right? Like in the hallway or at a meeting or at a coffee date or lunch. But when we are all dispersed, there is no connection by accident. So we have to create intention on purpose. Otherwise, it literally will not happen. And the fabric of your culture will start to fray, period, right? So it is now up to us. We have to weave it into everything that we're doing. Um, and one of the things I, I want to also go back and say towards the beginning of that 60-minute meeting, um, one of the most powerful things I think you can do is set guidelines or agreements, which is something that you alluded to. So how do we want to show up here on this call? And those guidelines might be the same or similar meeting to meeting, or they might change depending on what you're focusing on and what's needed. But I think of guidelines or group agreements as the mindsets. What are the mindsets that we need to take on in order to get the most out of this experience? And and circling back to what you shared way earlier about those different meeting personas, right? Um, One thing that I've heard recently that I've started using, which I think is really great, is just to say to people, three main ways that you can show up at this meeting. One is to be a consumer and that's to be a passive observer and just kind of like letting everything wash over you. The second is to be a critic and that's to be a naysayer and the person who's always like, yes, but no, but there's something wrong with that won't work because, and the third way is to be a contributor. And that's someone who's open, who's enthusiastic, who's giving, who's generous, who's, elevating uh, everyone around them, right? So even just saying something like that at the beginning of like, you could show up in any one of these ways and we're inviting you to be here as a contributor because you matter and we want to build something meaningful with you and as a team. So I think getting people into what's that mindset that you can ask them to be in so that you have a generative, productive, positive experience. Because As I've been doing these trainings on virtual connection and engagement, I recently did one at the very end when I asked people just that kind of that last whip, right? Like, what's your main takeaway from this experience? One of the participants said, there is no Zoom fatigue. There is bad Zoom fatigue, right? It's like, it's not necessarily the platform. It's how you use it, Mm. right? And so again, if you just take the same ineffective formats you were doing in person and translate them online, they'll just be worse because online makes everything so much harder. So it requires all of us to step up, to be more creative, to innovate, to like turn things upside down, to be like, this has to be new and different because the old ways honestly weren't working anyway. And they're not working here either. So let's make it better. And that's what I think is exciting about all of this. And like, yes, I have been a self-proclaimed in-person person for the past 20 years of my facilitation and experience design career. And when COVID hit, I, I went through a grieving process, as so many of us did when we watched our whole careers just just die. (laughs) Um, You know, and I had to really ask myself, like, I've been pushing away virtual for so long, because I've had beliefs that it couldn't be good, that it couldn't be as powerful, that it was never going to measure up to an in-person experience. And I had to question my beliefs and say, like, is that true? And how could I how could I explore a world in which online could be just as good, if not better than in person? And in the past six months that I've been actively innovating in this regard, I can say that it's absolutely possible for it to be just as good, if not better than in person, 
what it takes is creativity, innovation, dedication, prioritization of connection and making connection and engagement your first principles of design when you're creating any kind of online um, gathering. I think it's a it's it's an incredible example of someone who you know like is a founder of Acro Yoga in person like like it doesn't get much more in person than that and then like building conferences and events where you're asking people people to gather you know if anyone was going to look at this and go well this is an obstacle that I don't think I I can overcome to turn this and actually say how might this be the best thing that I've ever you know had the chance to rethink how do I do this. Like, what were the principles that I used to think were unmovable? There was no way that this could not be true if it doesn't happen in person. And it's forced you to sit there and go, how might the technology allow more voices to be heard? How might it allow people to show up who typically couldn't show up? How might we be able to scale intimacy between introverts and extroverts in a way that like in person used to would always make that way too like one-sided for someone? Um, so, you know, I think... Every obstacle has a chance to be an opportunity, but this was certainly a huge one. And I'm so glad to see that you've overcome it in such a a beautiful way and are still able to kind of take people on this journey of learning how to scale intimacy. Yeah, I mean, I'm learning so much and it has absolutely sharpened my tool bag. I've grown so much as a designer and a facilitator because of this that I'm so grateful for. And to see now, I've been very San Francisco Bay Area centric in my teaching for the past number of years. And now I'm getting this international community showing up to my trainings. And I just, I'm so happy. And it's so wonderful to see so many people from around the world coming together. And it's beautiful. And so whenever there's the opportunity to gather again in person, I'm excited to do that. And I'm committed to continuing these virtual offerings because I think there's so much value in it for participants and also for me. Like I'm getting so much out of it. And, uh, this wonderful thing with intimacy um, is that, you know, we have this, again, this limiting belief that I ask people, when you think about an event or an experience being intimate, like what number does that cap out at, right? And a lot of people will say 10, 15, 20, 25, maybe some people say 50, but that's kind of where it, where it ends. And again, when, when you look up that dictionary definition, there's no reference to number. Right. So when we often say, oh, it's an intimate party, an intimate gathering, an intimate conference, what we mean is small for the most part. And there's actually no no analogy to numbers. It's just this association that we have. It's this limiting belief we have. And so if intimacy is the feeling of closeness or familiarity, that means that we can create the feeling of intimacy with a group of any size in any context, whether they already know each other or they're complete strangers as long as we make connection the priority. And that has absolutely been my experience. So I can tell you for sure, for sure, for sure, it is possible, but you have to design for it. I think I've just had another one of those Janie Sauerklein, aha, blow my mind moments where I'm like, in no definition ever did intimacy have a number as a descriptor. And when you were sharing that um, in 2019, uh, Coltrane put on these events called Culture First Forums, and it was a much smaller type of gathering, and it was um, you know really focused on CEOs and chief people officers, chief human resource officers, chief operating officers, chief financial officers, and anyone to like bring these people together, you know, two or three from a company in, into this um, what we were calling an intimate experience. And um, I remember after the first one, we held it um, just outside of Sydney in the Blue Mountains. And someone came up to us and said, oh, when I imagined intimate experience, 
I thought I was going to be here with maybe like 12 to 14 peers and I was going to get to know a few people really well. And, you know, it did surprise her that there was 70 people there. And I think exactly to your point, like we've thought intimacy can only be small, but actually what we created, the container that we created and the feedback that we got, it was one of the most intimate and intense and beautiful events that people had ever attended. And it kind of redefined what that looks like. And I didn't really kind of put it together as powerful as I did just hearing that to you. But like, let's, let's blow up the idea that intimacy is number associated. It's actually about the type of container that you're creating. Absolutely. And the other aha moment that I just remembered was, please stop saying Zoom fatigue. It's just bad Zoom fatigue. Like it, we, we can blaming their technology is an easy way out. Like someone is running those meetings. Someone's asking us. We're clicking someone's link. Let's let's make sure that we're actually holding them accountable. Absolutely, and it and it's. I will say, like it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Like for me, you know, having these two day scaling intimacy programs where I felt like they were getting really dialed and honed, and I was like, yes. COVID happened and I was like, oh my gosh, do I cancel it? Do I put it on pause for however long? And then I was like, no, I'm going to do it online. I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to figure it out. I went into this deep learning process, lots of experimentation. I'm still experimenting. I will always be experimenting. Um, But that first round, that translation from the in-person to online, oh man, that took so much time, energy and work. And I was like, I... I said to myself, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be worth it because when I do the in-person, I get so fed from the in-person connection, the community, the feeling of togetherness. It's like, that's what fuels me. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get that online. And so I don't know if I'm going to want to do this again, knowing how much work it takes. And then I did the first one and I left feeling so elated, so connected, like the event ended and people the majority of the participants stayed on the line for another 20 minutes, just sharing their gratitudes and their amazement at how connected they felt. And I was like, okay, something's working. And, you know, so, so it gave me that fuel to be like, oh, this is totally possible. And the reality is that it does require more from us as designers, as leaders, as um, facilitators to plan for these things, because, It requires, you know, especially if you have multiple people playing multiple roles, you have to get your team aligned, everybody clear on what they're doing and how and the handoff points and all of that. I have to be much more specific and thorough in my plan. So it requires me to really think through and have that much more empathy for my participants or my team members experience, right? What is the experience that I want to have for them? And how do I, that I deliver this 60 minute or 90 minute uh, training experience meeting. Um, It requires quite a lot of forethought and detail. So I will say, I will tell you that's the truth. Um, But if you take the time to do that, it will make you a far better leader. One of my final parting thoughts, and I'm not sure if this is a question or maybe just a a reflection, but, um, you know, I was thinking about the fact that when we even think about the word connection, it's also, I'm thinking Wi-Fi connection, right? And when we're on something like Zoom, when we've got a bad Wi-Fi connection, this this little box pops up and it says poor connection, right? So we, we have warning signs that we're in a meeting where we've got poor Wi-Fi. But I've always assumed that was just about the Wi-Fi. What happens if that was actually a warning box that said, sorry, you're in a terribly run meeting? And the poor connection is actually happening there. So yeah. 
you know, I guess maybe the, the reflection or the question is, you know, if you're a participant in these meetings and you feel like you're seeing that little warning box pop up, is there something that you can do if you're not leading the meeting? And, um, you know, m- maybe from your, your experience, what what's an example of something that might trigger that poor connection box? It's mm, a great question. I, I mean, I think that I just, I tend to go back to the, Fortunately or unfortunately, I really go back to like the responsibility being on the leader or facilitator. And there are, I think one of the most challenging things for us as we do these events is, you know, when we're in a room with people, it's much easier to, um, as they say, read the room, right? To kind of feel the energy, to notice when people are engaged or disengaged, when they're looking at you versus staring off into space, right? There are certain, there's a lot of physical indicators that tell us whether or not people are present. Um, and that can be harder to interpret when you're virtual. So I like to use a lot of check-in devices to actively ask people how they're doing. Um, so I, I often use the thumbs up, thumbs down. So there are thumbs up and thumbs down buttons on zoom, but I, if I can see enough people, I like to just use physical thumbs. Cause again, I think it's a way you can engage people's bodies and remember like we have a body. Oh my God. I'm not just like a head on a screen. So I'll ask people like, Give me a full thumbs up if you're like full steam ahead, loss of energy. Thumbs down means I'm sleepwalking with my eyes open. And somewhere in the middle, kind of thumb parallel to the ground means like I'm hanging in there. I'm a little droopy, but like I'm doing all right. And I ask people to give me that physical signal. And that lets me know when I'm not sure kind of where are people at. And and that can be really helpful. You can also do what I call like a fist to five. So it's another scale. So using your hand, if I have a closed fist, that's zero. An open palm with five fingers, that's five. And then I could give you two, three, four fingers anywhere in between. You can use that for an energy check. Or I can say like, how relevant is this material to you? Or how passionate are you? Let's say you're setting an agenda and you're not sure like what's most important. You could say, okay, fist to five, like how urgent and important is this for us to to discuss today? And then if you get people to give you that number, that scale, uh, physically, you can get a sense of it. Also, obviously, you could launch a poll or something like that. Mm. Um, But I think the ways that we can bridge what I call like bridging IRL and URL, like what are the ways in which we can uh, bring people back into their bodies, even as we're on machines and having more of that uh, check-in process, that active dialogue between leaders and participants elevates everyone so that I know if people are like super droopy energetically or they're not feeling connected to this material or that I- agenda items not really relevant for people right now, I can adjust my plan on the fly and do something do something different. And then I think um, as we talked about that kind of plus delta, it's really on you as a as a facilitator, a leader, a designer, a manager to be asking for feedback, right? That is your responsibility, and that's the way that you can model that for your team members. Uh, I think we can't put it on them to be like, well, they should have told me, right? Like, we need to ask, and we need to ask in ways that are, are going to be productive. So whatever that format or way is for you, maybe it's a survey that you send out, or maybe if you have weekly meetings, maybe every fourth meeting, you dedicate 10 or 15 minutes to talking about how have these meetings been going? How might we shift this format to be most uh, alive? Like, how could you, again, if we think about flipping limiting beliefs, how could we have your weekly team meeting something that people actually look forward to? Mm. And what if you ask them that question? What would it take for this to be something that you look forward to? 
instead of something that you dread or something that's like annoying on your calendar, right? So how do you get their active participation in co-creating what this format looks like so that everybody is excited about it and everyone shows up as a contributor? There's been so many incredible takeaways from this conversation and why I think this is so important right now. I'll I'll reflect back on something that a mentor told me um, once and um, you know, if you have an eight-person meeting and you ask them to join for an hour, that's eight hours. That's a full day worth of work that is happening in that container. Like it better be worth it. It better be a good reason to gather. And you know, there's many reasons to to gather um, inside of a company. And I think what I'm sort of walking away from, you know, is like know why you're connecting. Work out what is the thing that you really need to be focusing the conversation on. Be okay with fostering connection over content. Know that there's many other ways to get content out there, and you know, as leaders, if if, if we're facilitating these me- these meetings, you know, get clear agreements, know the roles, make sure that there's play built in, and knowing that intimacy is not a number, it's actually can be can be designed for, and you know, this is for what you know. We don't know how long we're going to be working like this, but I think one thing that's going to you know, regardless of what the world looks like in 12 months, 24 months, or 10 years. We were in meetings before this and we'll be in meetings after this and how we connect is always going to be important. And uh, this truly feels like a masterclass on learning how to actually connect. So I'll leave with, uh, is there any question or anything that I didn't ask that you would typically like to share or any any sort of parting thoughts that you, you would like to share with the audience? I feel like we got so many good things, <laughs> so many good things out there. And I, I think you summarized it so well that... Um... I mean, I could just talk about this forever. This is this is my favorite favorite topic in the world, and it is my my goal in life. And and I think that comes from just my feeling of a lack of connection in my in my childhood. So I think like we all we all teach or share what it is we most need to learn or what what most fills our soul. So I just um, I just feel grateful to be having this conversation and doing this doing this work in the world. A big thank you to Jenny Sauer-Klein for joining me on the Culture First podcast. Now, as you would have heard, I was having quite a few aha moments, and I hope that you also experienced some of those kind of aha moments. So I wanted to reflect on some of the ones that I'm walking away from this conversation with. So firstly, whoever said that intimacy had to have a number attached to it? What makes for an intimate event isn't the number of people in it, it's how you actually structure it. Next, I love this idea that we don't suffer from Zoom fatigue or video conference fatigue. We just suffer from bad online video fatigue. You know, these containers that we're creating where it's just information that we're just sitting there and having to absorb the whole time. It doesn't work in an in-person meeting and it's certainly not going to work in a virtual meeting. And that finally, I think we all deserve to have better containers for conversations at work. And in order to do so, us as leaders, we need to practice the art of gathering and actually apply these techniques. You know, when we're gathering these people, you know, for one hour, you know, if it's eight people, that's eight hours. That's a full day worth of work. We need to make it sure it's worthwhile. And we need to really focus on creating these connections and containers for, for our employees. So Jenny and I could have kept talking about this subject for a very long time. But just like any good connection, you know, we were focusing on actually building those stories out together than trying to give you all of the content. 
So that's why we've made more of Jenny's work available at culturefirst.com slash working through it for you to download and read. So this wraps up part five of our Working Through It series, where we've been experimenting and innovating with human connection. If you've enjoyed this episode, then it would mean the world to me as well as the team if you left us a review and a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'd love more and more people to find these stories so that you know we can improve the world of work one podcast episode at a time. And we're only going to do that if you can share it and leave these reviews. So we really do appreciate it. And finally, you can also share your journey of working through it by using the hashtag Culture First Podcast on social media and feel free to tag me at Damon Klotz as well as at CultureRamp so we can join in the conversation and learn how these episodes have been helping you work through it. All right, that wraps up this episode. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.